Tony Hines here. You're listening to the News Roundup on the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, it's great to be here. Well, the new head at Shell, new CEO, says he's not moving away from oil. He says he's going back to oil. He's not reducing the output by 2030, as planned under the previous CEO statements. But he said oil will be needed, along with gas, for at least the next decade. So, that's in about town. I don't know how that's going to go down with uh, all the climate protesters and the people wanting a better environment. We'll have to wait and see, but maybe for some investors, that will be music to their ears. Chain Reaction Well, a story caught my eye this week about tomatoes and tomato imports, in particular into the UK and how that's changed since Brexit. And there was a suggestion that Brexit is a significant problem for fresh fruit and veg coming from Europe into the UK. And one explanation was that drivers didn't want to bring those goods to the UK because it meant 77-hour waits and queues because of all the bureaucracy involved since Brexit. So this has added friction. You'll have heard me talk about friction and the problems with friction since Brexit. And those problems go on. There was some suggestion that it was the bad weather in Spain and North Africa for the Spanish and Moroccan imports of tomatoes. But in the Netherlands, apparently drivers are refusing to come to the UK because of the time it takes and the additional cost. So far from being a better option, Brexit's pushed cost up significantly. Apparently in the European Union, there are no shortages of tomatoes or fresh fruit and veg on supermarket shelves. Those goods are there, and that's because it's easier to move the goods around the European Union, because there is no friction at the borders, and they don't have the increased cost. UK growers produce about a fifth, and that's about 100,000 tonnes of tomatoes every year. And the UK consumes about 500,000 tonnes a year. During the summer, it goes up to around half of all tomatoes bought, produced in the UK. Since Brexit, we've had seasonal shortages of farm workers to pick the fruit, and the UK imports 400,000 tonnes of tomatoes, according to HMRC. That's the revenue and customs in the UK. 35% of those come from Morocco, 34% from the Netherlands, 16% from Spain, and 15% from other EU countries. I don't know about you, but I often get the feeling that our politicians don't do enough research and don't understand the problems before they jump in foot first, head first, whatever. And that's becoming clearer on a daily basis. Another story breaking this week is how the UK government is now withdrawing or delaying the HS2 rollout. You'll remember this is the high-speed train network that was supposed to be rolled out across the country, make journey times between London and the rest of the country much faster. And the infrastructure investment would make a big difference, particularly in the north of England, and it became part of the levelling up agenda. But now they've withdrawn. And anybody knows that when countries invest in that kind of infrastructure, it helps the economy enormously because people want to invest. If you've got better transport networks, then people want to invest in the area. You only have to look at the investment that's taken place around London and how investment came into certain areas as new tube lines came in. 
So now that's not going to happen. The irony, of course, is that as governments push ahead to remove CO2 from the atmosphere and reduce polluting cars and polluting traffic, the alternatives don't look great. There seems to be an incredible lack of joined-up thinking when it comes to policy implementation. There was some suggestion that the increased cost was due to inflationary pressures in the current time, and that by delaying for two years, that might take away that pressure. But that seems a bit dubious, doesn't it? Because it's likely that prices will be even higher in two years' time. So, an excuse, I think, simply to cut cost. The HS2 line between Birmingham and Crewe has been delayed by two years, and it's simply to cut cost. The government has suggested that Euston Station's opening could also be delayed as an affordable design is worked upon. The Transport Secretary Mark Harper blamed soaring prices. He said that the government was committed to linking London, the Midlands and the north of England. Well, they are linked already, Mark, in case you don't know, but this was supposed to speed up things. It'd be much better if you looked at the, an east-west crossing as well. That was going to be more efficient between the east coast in the north at Hull and the west coast in Liverpool. We're trying to phase the build and timing, of course, to save cost. Now, there might seem nothing wrong in that, but every delay is likely to make it even more expensive. So this intervention is one of those interventions that you can see right away is going to actually cost more than less. The cynic in me feels that this is just a move, perhaps by a fading government, to push the cost onto a new incoming government, which won't be the current government when the general election is completed. So just a political shenanigan, as you might say. HS2, of course, has had a series of problems with delays and rising costs. In 2010, it was expected to be around £33 billion, but the figures now soared to about £71 billion. John Smith of GB Rail Freight warned against going ahead with a half-baked project. Deloitte's in 2021 said that rail freight contributed nearly £2.5 to the UK economy every year. HS2 was critical in terms of freeing up capacity on the network, and it's a key element in the UK strategy to decarbonise, or it was. But it now appears that uh, the half-baked comment was in relation to not continuing with the infrastructure through Manchester, Liverpool and on to elsewhere. Sir John Armett, chair of the National Infrastructure Commission, said the delay would just push costs up in the long run, which is a point I made just a few minutes ago. Every time you delay a construction project, he said, you inevitably increase its costs because they don't get stopped. You just run them over a longer period of time. And of course, as we all know, with inflation, it's likely to increase. It's likely to cost between 5% or 7% of growth, according to Sir John Armett. Now, once upon a time, the rail network used to have trains that ran on time, carried passengers and delivered freight. What's happened to all those trains? Perhaps we could ask Mark Harper, because the trains just aren't as frequent. People can't get about as easily as they used to. And it feels a bit like 1830 again. Perhaps they'll reinvent the rocket and it will move from Liverpool to Manchester. The rocket, of course, was a train, not a rocket. Now, while people are struggling to pay their energy costs and just to meet the current daily cost of livings, give a thought for those poor chief executives at BP, £10 million a year, 
and a chill. £9.7 million a year. Hmm, what would you find to spend all your money on? Well, perhaps they could invest in energy shares. Both of those chief executives have had 50% pay increases or more in a year. In 2021, the annual pay was just half of that. And, of course, people are having strikes in public services, in all kinds of essential work, things that keep people and communities together, and they can't get 10%. So, something wrong, isn't there? Now, the Federal Maritime Commission in the United States is looking at demurrage and detention reform, but the port executives from across the country are very concerned that the new regulations will lead to capacity issues at facilities. The alarm bells are rung as shippers thought skyrocketing demurrage costs during the pandemic might be reintroduced and some cargo owners said they were being hit with fees even when they couldn't pick up containers due to overwhelming congestion. Detention and demurrage charges increased about 38% for standard size containers, that's the 20 equivalent units, and that's about $586 to about $868 between 2020 and 2021. So the FMC is expected to enforce new rulemaking around detention and demurrage costs as part of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. In October 2022, the agency proposed that carriers issued bills only to parties with which they had contractual relationships. Well, just when you thought the ports might get back to some semblance of order and normality, it looks like it might well be disrupted by something that was designed to actually make things better. Well, the 20-year-old arrangement, the alliance between Renault and Nissan, is about to be renewed. And it's perhaps going to be renewed on a more equal footing in the new arrangement. This could happen as early as next month, according to the Wall Street Journal. It should provide both companies with more autonomy and reset the alliance for the future challenges they face. Now, as we know, there have been lots of job cuts this year in the tech industries. And a piece of news that also I picked up in the Wall Street Journal was uh, that the Berlin software company, SAP, and many of you might have had those consultants into your organization at some time or another. That's SAP. But they're about to get rid of about 3,000 jobs because of profit plungers. So those, um, those super high fees that are charged by SAP are not making enough profit for the company, I'm guessing, or perhaps. So SAP's joined the ranks of other tech companies announcing job cuts this year. Perhaps it's because the tech companies aren't employing them as much because they're also facing their own problems as well. It had a steep profit drop in late 2022. Apparently during the pandemic, it grew rapidly. And it's only now that things are returning to normal that the profits have been hit. So these layoffs will come across the company's whole business. And they said they want to focus on strategic growth areas. Restricting costs are expected to be about 250 million to 300 million euros. According to the new head of Toyota, they need a new electric vehicle roadmap. The incoming boss, Koji Sato, is to run the company. Akio Toyoda would move into the chairman role 
leaving the Lexus boss to step into the shoes of running the business. It's an unexpected move, and it was prompted by the current chairman, Takashi Ukiyamada, retiring. Ukiyamada was said to be the brains behind the, the Prius, and he talked about generational change. Toyota needs some fresh thinking, and the Toyota way needs to reinvent itself into the EV age. It has pioneering technology in the hybrid vehicle market, and it's quite successful there, but they want more change in future. So, new technology, new innovation, new ideas. Growth in the US economy for the fourth quarter grew at an inflation-adjusted rate of 2.9%. That's the annual rate in the fourth quarter from the previous quarter. And it's better than the economists expected, but it's a bit lower than the third quarter's figure of 3.2%. Consumer spending was firm, growing at 2.1%, as against 2.3% in the third quarter. But there was a notable fall in capital spend. Meanwhile, the United States also added 311,000 jobs in February as wages cool. President Xi Jinping of the Republic of China has entered his third term in office. Normally, the Chinese president just is in office for two terms. But you might remember that Xi Jinping changed the rule and he's now in an unprecedented third term as the president. This all went through very smoothly in the Communist Party legislature, and it was carefully stage-managed. Now, when I was at university, I wanted to know and understand business and what happened in business. But of course, the nearest thing I could come to that was to study economics, which I did, and economic history. Now, those subjects, to me, are still important. But if you wanted to really know what's going on in the world today, you could do far worse than to study supply chain management, because supply chains encompass everything about business and everything about international trade. And the future looks good for those that want to study and learn about the complexities, the ambiguities, the uncertainties, the disruption that goes on in the supply chains. And if you want to understand geopolitics, you can do so through supply chains, because that's where it's all played out. But of course, if we are to do that, we need a strategic view of what's happening in supply chains. And that's where my own take on these things became unique in the early 2000s when I wrote my supply chain strategy book. And I'm going to be revisiting in the next few weeks some of the issues and some of the ways that people can learn and how the educational programs to help people understand supply chains better will need to adapt and move towards a future view of the skills, the innovation, the technology and the operational savvy as well as the strategic overview of the whole total supply chain as a system. And I'll be talking to some people who will help me to understand what this means on the ground and how the new educational programs will need to be designed. 
So join me on the Chain Reaction Podcast to find out more. ASML Holdings is a Dutch chip manufacturing company based in Amsterdam. The Dutch government this week announced that it would be following the US lead of placing restrictions on the export of technology to China. And that will impact ASML's business because they currently earn about 14% of their revenue from mainland China. And ASML will not be able to export that technology. They currently earn about 14% of their revenue out of mainland China. And it sent a shiver down the spine of the company, I'm guessing. And I just wonder what will happen here with these governmental restrictions, both in the United States and in the Dutch government's case, and there may be others that follow. Will that encourage some of the manufacturing to move from China to elsewhere? It may well do, but it's a case of watch this space. Plastic entering the world's oceans has increased since 2005, and it could triple by 20 40 if no further action is taken. There's 171 trillion plastic particles afloat in the oceans by 2019, according to some peer-reviewed research led by the Five Gaias Institute, a US organisation that campaigns to reduce plastic pollution. Marine plastic pollution could rise 2.6-fold by 2040 if legally binding global policies are not introduced. That's according to the Institute. The study looked at surface-level plastic pollution data from 11,777 ocean stations in six major marine regions covering the period from 1979 to 2019. And there's exponential growth of microplastics in the global oceans since the millennium. That's according to Marcus Erickson, co-founder of the Five Guys Group in the US. So he's claiming that legislation is needed. And we know there's a lot of microplastic in foods, don't we? Because uh, that's problematic and a growing problem. So, unless this is checked, it looks like the future is bleak. Mitsubishi Motor Corporation announced this week that it will only sell EVs and hybrid vehicles by 2030. Electric vehicles accounted for just 7% of Mitsubishi's market in 2021. Mitsubishi is also a junior partner in the relationship between Renault and Nissan I talked about earlier in the episode. Stellantis ACC joint venture plans to start operations at an Italian gigafactory in 2026. It was announced that the joint venture between Stellantis and Mercedes and Total Engines are planning this battery plant which will produce EV batteries by 2026. The investment is worth 2 billion euros, 2.1 billion dollars US. Stellantis has plans to develop three gigafactories in Europe, which will increase its production capacity for electric vehicle batteries. They're going to be built in France, Germany and Italy with a capacity of 40 gigawatt hours in each one by 2030. The Italian project will be set up in the southern city of Termoli through the conversion of an existing Stellantis engine and gearbox plant, which currently employs around 2,000 workers, and it should begin production by 2026 and reach full capacity by 2030 with at least 
1,800 employees, according to the company. U.S. regulators have shut down the Silicon Valley Bank, and they've taken control of the bank and the customer deposits. It's the largest failure of a United States bank since 2008. Perhaps it reflects the problems in the tech sector that are happening right now. It's a key tech sector lender, and it was trying to raise cash from the sale of assets affected by higher interest rates. The troubles experienced by the bank began a rush of customer withdrawals, and it's raised fears about the state of the banking sector. Regulators acknowledge that there was inadequate liquidity. The bank was headquartered in California. Many companies will be affected by this with their money tied up right now until things are sorted out. The bank was trying to raise 2.25 billion US dollars. That's about 1.9 billion pounds. The loss was caused by the sale of assets, mainly US government bonds, which had been affected by higher interest rates. Janet Yellen, the US Treasury Secretary, said that they were monitoring recent developments at Silicon Valley Bank and looking at others carefully. So this has blown a chill wind through the banking sector, and some commentators have said that the bank wouldn't have gone into trouble if there hadn't been a rush on the cash as customers decided to take flight with the money. So confidence at an all-time low just presently. Well, that's it for this week's News Roundup. Don't forget to pick up any episodes that you've missed. Get along to the Chain Reaction website and have a look. Partnerships and power all change. We've got global supply chain challenges coming up. And, of course, there'll be the Management Consultancy Dependency episode as well. And if you haven't heard the previous episodes in conversation with Federico Crespo, Banana Special, Plastic Waste and Supply Chain Pest, well... Go and listen to those too. Well, thanks for dropping by and listening to the News Roundup on the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I'll see you next time in the next episode. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.